now you can see, Thanos, how this maladaptive behavior is not good for you, right? Let's go back into your history for a moment. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Daryl. We love geek stories, and man, this is a good time to love geek stories, because as we record this, Avengers Infinity War just came out a few days ago. We've all seen it, and we're dying to talk about it. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We are going to dig deeper into Avengers Infinity War, specifically Thanos. Yes, specifically Thanos. (laughs) That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That's the name of the episode, specifically Thanos. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It's going to be a good one. I'm Jay, and Daryl and I would love for you to join our conversation. Leave us a comment on our blog, Podbean, or YouTube, or send us an email at thestorygeeks.gmail.com. And really quick, before you forget, click the subscribe button. Then let us know you're listening by commenting or shoot us an email. We'd love to meet you electronically. And as always, the Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Indeed it is. So let's dive into this topic in just a minute here. But before we do that, if, you, if you've listened to last week's episode when we did a Make It Better on Age of Ultron, you know at this point that we almost can't record anything about Marvel without our buddy Justin Weaver. So here he is again. I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> So, Justin, tell us about yourself real quick. I am married to a cute redhead named Kim. I work for the Walt Disney Company. I have two master's degrees, one in theology, one in, uh, shoot, what is it? Master's of Arts in Spiritual Formation and Soul Care. It's a long title. Um, (laughs) I just, I love people. I love God. I love stories. I love these movies. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Okay, so what we are going to talk about today is there's so much stuff to talk about from Avengers Infinity War. I will say right off the bat, spoiler alert, because we're going to spoil the crap out of this movie (laughs) as we spoil the crap out of pretty much everything we talk about, because how can you talk about it deeply without spoiling it? That's right. Watch the movies and then join the conversation with us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so we're going to talk specifically about... Thanos, and we're going to talk about his journey as a character and some of the things that motivate him because arguably Avengers Infinity War is Thanos's movie. I wouldn't even, I don't even know if it's arguable. Like, if anyone says, like, <laughs> oh, no, it's not, it's Tony Stark's movie. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what? Yeah. What movie did you watch? Yeah. And the very end of the credits says Thanos will return. That's right. So it is Thanos's movie. Yeah. It is. It is. There is no character that they spend more time on or dig deeper into than Thanos. Yeah. So we figure we should just do the same thing. It should have been, get this man a gauntlet. (laughs) (laughs) Get the purple dude a glove. (laughs) Okay, so let's dive into some questions here. The first thing I want to do, actually, before we talk about Infinity War specifically, is look back at Thanos from the other movies. Obviously, there's not a lot to look back on. We have a couple quick cameos, a slightly bigger cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy. But what are your guys' impressions of Thanos pre-Infinity War? So, Justin, what do you think about that? He is a terrifying figure. If I think it's in the first Avengers that he first pops up in the post-credits uh, scene. And all we see is that sinister grin, and we know that he was in some way the general, the mastermind, sending out that entire army. So you infer 
even if you have no clue who that purple guy was at the end of the movie, that he is very strong, he's in control, he's powerful, he's scary. And at the very least, he's unknown. And that's creepy. And then when he's in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's an intimidating person because you at least know that Ronan the Accuser's pretty hardcore. And, and at that Ronan's point, you don't know how crappy Ronan the Accuser is quite yet. Right. <laughs> you don't know that he will lose in a dance battle. Yeah. You don't know this yet. Hey, this but... guy seems pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Oh, uh-oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but... What the hella happened there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because he said hella. <laughs> I Different didn't villain. even have the energy to groan. <laughs> <laughs> but Thanos, when he's on that little Skype wall projection thing, yeah. he's like, I will bathe the starways in your blood. That's a pretty hardcore threat that you really get the sense that he could follow through with. Yes. So I think they... Although when I first heard that, my biggest question was, does Ronan have that much blood? <laughs> uh, well, he's feasting on it in the beginning, right? Isn't that what he's like? He's in like a little blood cage and they're draining yes, people huh. so that he kind of just... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's not helping him out. Maybe the Kree <laughs> bleed like crazy. <laughs> no, I guess so. <laughs> well, okay, let me add to that because I think I agree with all of those things. I think what makes Thanos even scarier is that every villain that I can think of, maybe with the exception of Ultron, um, is that they have this, this um, anxiety about them. Like, especially Ronan is a good example. Like there's something that they're that they're amped up to do. There, but Thanos is so calm. Like when he says, "I'll bathe, bla- um, I'll bathe the uh, starways in your blood," he says it as if he's like, "I have to use the restroom." <laughs> right? Like it's just this very plain... someone get me a coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, and I think that that's what makes him so intimidating because every time we see him. He is in utter control of the universe, it seems. And it's just yeah. kind of like, oh, wow, this dude, he's not worried about anything. So I don't know what kind of power he possesses, but this dude is to be feared yeah. for sure. Yeah, I agree. And I like that we don't see a whole lot of him. Like, we don't know where he comes from. We don't know why he is so powerful. Right. We just get to see him being him. Yep. Which totally works. Yeah, I, I, I love the Babe, the Starways in your bloodline. That's a really good one. That was the first time we got to see Josh Brolin mm-hmm. as yeah, Thanos. That's right. Who was Thanos before Brolin? Nobody. It was just a... Oh, there was I a mean, voice. there may have been a, a voice, I mean, a performance capture actor. I don't know, but he didn't say anything. Oh, okay. He just grinned. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember having to explain that to people. Do you remember those days when people didn't know who Thanos was? I was one of those people that Did I... Did I have to explain it to you? I don't remember if it was you or <laughs> I don't if know if we knew each other at, at that large. point. Yeah. But I had to explain it to my wife. I remember that. Really? Yeah. I think I, you probably had to explain it to me, too. Just as if, like, if Darkseid would have shown up in the Justice League, right? people would have been like... Who's that? Yeah, right, exactly. It's like, if you don't know the comics, you don't know Darkseid. But it's almost better not really knowing. Yeah. Because this is a... You know it's going to be an interpretation on top of the comics anyways. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to... Like, I have no history with Thanos. 
just because I'm not a big Avengers. Like, if you yeah. said, hey, the Joker, I'm like, I have a long history with the Joker. I've right. read a lot of Joker comics. A lot of Batman enemies, actually, I've read. Lex Luthor. But Thanos? No, I don't know really Thanos that much. Yeah. So, and the thing that I noticed, and you guys tell me what you think of this, for me, there's a pretty big disconnect between the Thanos that we saw in the earlier films and the Thanos that we see in Infinity War, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because his depth in Infinity War is crazy. Yeah. And obviously they couldn't show us that depth and quick cameos in the earlier films. Right. But he seems more smiley and more sort of like traditionally sinister in the earlier films. Whereas he seems like, like you said, he's not burdened by anything. Like right. he's totally relaxed. Yeah. But you see Infinity War, that's not true at all. He's definitely burdened. He's sad almost. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very different. So for me, there's a disconnect there, which I wouldn't say it bothers me, but I notice it. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I was thinking about the same thing just from the few comics that I have read with Thanos. He has a really simple motivation that makes him horrifying and that is just to impress death. So yeah. cause as much <laughs> destruction and mayhem as he can to impress the personified female skeleton death. Yeah. And <laughs> that's so clean. And so to impress death, he'd have to kill millions or billions and he's going to find a way to do it. Yeah. But to make him at all relatable, to make him at all compelling to us i think it's good that they change some things up but when i was seeing those first few cameos i was absolutely just assuming this is going to be a killing machine with very little reason at all so i think there is a little bit of a difference i don't know if they had fully fleshed out how they were going to present him when he comes on screen at that point because they definitely planted the seed for death when they showed him the first time, because yes. they said to challenge them is to court death. And oh, then he smiled. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. he that's what he wants to do. Literally wants to court death in the comics. Which as a person who didn't read those comics, I'm like, it just sounds really dumb. I mean, I, I don't mean that I mean I'm sure they handle it well, it, but it, it just still sounds, sounds really dumb, dumb if even if you do read the comic, <laughs> to be honest. It's just like why you're gonna do all this stuff just because like like if the internal motivation is love, that's just a little bizarre. I, I don't know. I don't get that. Yeah, and I wouldn't say, I don't know, I haven't read the Infinity Gauntlet in so long, but love may not be the proper word to attribute to it, no, per yeah, se. Lust or yeah. something. I don't know. I, but see, here's what I like about the two personas, right? Think of how many people that you know that if you first met them, you would assume things about them that once you know them are actually not true. So, and it happens a lot of times with people that you have some level of, it happens a lot of times with like really tough people, which is why I think it's a good comparison to Thanos. They have this exterior toughness and you're like, whoa, this person's really intimidating and scary. But then if they become your friend, you realize all the things that are go into that person that make them that way. And mm-hmm. you're like, actually, the parts of that toughness are actually really sad. Not, not, not that all the parts of that, there's some respectable parts of that. But to me, this is kind of like a cool thing with Thanos where you're like, when you first meet him, you are incredibly intimidated. But then when you start to unravel, he's still frightening, but it's not the same level. Like there's a little, there's almost a level of sympathy you could actually put behind it. Just a big purple puppy dog. (laughs) And I think you're also seeing him in different roles because for the first two times we see him, he's that general CEO 
kind of a guy talking to his underlings, mm. much of the movie is a little more familiar based. It's a little more intimate, especially when he's dealing with his daughters. Yeah, that's true. That's a great point. So his goal, you know, he's not in this, in this version, he's not courting death. Death is not a character. He is trying to balance the universe, right? And he's willing to wipe out half of life in the universe in order to balance it, which he sees as heroic. He sees it as there's too many mouths to feed and not enough resources. The universe is finite, but it's being treated as if it's not. And he's the only one that understands this and he needs to balance it out. So can you guys relate to him? What do you, what do you think about his tactics? Is he right? What do you think, Jay? <laughs> so funny you asked this question because Network 1901 does this podcast about Jeff Goldblum called Goldblooming. I'm the co-host of that podcast. It's a serial. And w- the Story Geeks have done some follow-ups on the geek films. We just did Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is about genetic engineering. Um, and specifically, Goldblum's character does not like genetic engineering and doesn't think we should do it. And there's a whole chaos theory thing. We get all into that. We get very deep into that. <laughs> I know. I was listening way to it more, earlier today. <laughs> way more deep than we need to get into it. However, uh, th- what I said on that show, I asked this question on the show before I saw Infinity War. I said, do you think we should bring back, I'm going to say, I'm going to ask the craziest question I've ever asked. Do you think Josh, Josh Taylor, the co-host, do you think that we should bring back dinosaurs just to even out the human population? <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I say that, the reason why I say that is because if you guys, Earth Day was recent. So if you're listening to this podcast in May uh, of 2018, Earth Day was fairly recent. It was at the end of April. And human beings at this point in time, there are 7 billion of us on the planet, over 7 billion of us. Uh, in 1950, there were 2.5 billion. So our rate of growth in the last 70 years has been astronomical and ridiculous. That puts pressure on ecosystems globally. Now, I'm not saying that he's justified, but he's ahead of the curve in terms of what we need to worry about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that he's justified, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't put human, human lives above and beyond um, even, even some of the environment because humans are so important. But our environment is incredibly important. I believe, as a Christ follower, that we're actually instructed to take care of it. Um, Jessica and I are not having kids. Uh, I do not vilify anybody who has kids. I think kids are fantastic. I love kids. But one of the, one of the things I've realized is that like, there's so many people on the face of this earth that not having kids, I think, can be looked at as a, as, as a decision to take care of the earth, which is crazy. I've never thought of that before. <laughs> but at this point in my life, I'm like, hey, I think that that actually could fit. So, um, so I do think Thanos is ahead of the curve. I don't think he's right because I, I think that, uh, like, for example, if you said to me, do you think the government should mandate that you have less kids? I'd say no. I don't believe that. Um, but should we be more careful with the resources we have been entrusted with? Yes, we should. Yeah. And then just going off that for a minute, yeah. if you are thinking about having kids in the term 
in the terms of passing on your knowledge and your wisdom to the next generation. There are so many ways to disciple people that is separate from having kids. You can do that. I mean, this podcast is one way of just showing your way of thinking uh, and expanding the dialogue to more people. But then you think about how many kids are in the foster care system and you can, if you wanted to have children to raise up there are children that need parents so i mean this is totally off topic but i just (laughs) i'm right there with you (laughs) and when i'm thinking about thanos he has experienced the death of a planet and apparently most of his people we don't know exactly what happened on titan but we got that glimpse from the reality stone of how beautiful it was how he saw that there was an imminent threat to it and now we see how titan is and that that came to pass. And so there's a very cold logic to if I kill half the people, at least some of them will survive. Mm. Because on Titan, they didn't. Mm. And so there is this almost parental sense of kind of like making your kid get a shot for their good or helping them through something that may be painful for them, but you have a sense of the greater picture um, in mind as the parent, as the adult. So it was striking that chord as I was trying to relate to the character. I still don't think he's right, but he seems to be condescending to everyone, trying to explain this is the only way forward. This is the only way that there can be balance. And then the topic of balance almost felt a little bit like an OCD tick because when he was <laughs> balancing the knife, when the cinematography had the living people split uh, on one side and then everyone else on the other side was executed, there are other ways to execute half, half of the people other than just literally having it split down the middle like that. And so there was something that wasn't completely rational about what he was doing. There was a cold logic to it, but there's also a brokenness to the way that he's thinking about it and the way that he's approaching it and the way that he needs that kind of balance. Mm. Yeah. I think he's completely irrational. Hmm. Like, I hear a lot of people say that they can relate to him, and <laughs> he's right. And no, he's not right. <laughs> you can't relate to him. He, I mean, yes, we are misusing our resources. Right. At least we on Earth are. We don't know what other planets are like, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. technically. Arturi 5, they're doing a great job, I heard. Yeah? yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> the planet moon of Endor looks very nice. <laughs> Who told you that? Yeah. Uh, just some little green aliens. Yeah. They visit me frequently. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm throwing you off. <laughs> I'm totally throwing Daryl off. So, yes, we are mistreating our environment and there is imbalance and we are using up our resources faster than maybe we need to be. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that either, but he is off his rocker <laughs> completely because what is his motivation? Is it just revenge? Like, mm-hmm. is it the fact that his planet was destroyed? Mm-hmm. Because why, why is he doing this stuff? Why does he want to balance everything? What does he get out of that? Mm. He's not trying to rule anybody. Yeah. So he's not a conqueror. He's just killing people for no reason. And not only is he killing people for no reason, but he's endeavoring to get this gauntlet that will allow him to do it with the snap of his fingers. Yeah. 
Well, if he can do that with the snap of his fingers, why can't he just produce more resources with the snap of his fingers? Why does he have to kill everybody? Thanos, you just got moated. So (laughs) he's completely irrational in his approach. Yeah. And you get a good sense of it from some of the other characters. So, okay, maybe one motivation that he would be trying to do this for is if he wanted to be a conqueror, right? If he wanted to be in control of everything. Sure. But Loki, in the very beginning of the movie, tries to drive a verbal dagger at him right before he dies when he says, you will never be a god. Mm-hmm. It doesn't phase him at all. He doesn't care. Right. He doesn't even respond to it. So do I don't think, think he wants to be a god. Well, do you think he doesn't care or that he's basically showing Loki, I already am one and will be more a more powerful one? So you, you like... Yeah, I mean, that there could be that angle to it, too. Yeah. But I see it in another place, too, when Steve and this is not Thanos directly, but I feel like the movie puts themes in other places so we can contrast it with Thanos. Yeah. There's the scene where Steve and the Vision are talking and Vision wants to basically just destroy himself and destroy the stone. Right. So that nobody can get it. Mm -hmm. And Steve's like, we don't trade lives. Yes. And he's like, well, why is it different than what you did 70 years ago? And Bruce says, because you may still have a choice. And I feel that way about Thanos. It's like, you have a choice. Yeah. You don't have to. You have the reality stone. <laughs> you can change anything. Yeah. You don't have to wipe out half of the universe's population. Clarifying question on yeah. that. Does the, reality, does the reality stone actually alter reality or does it faux alter reality? Well, unless it actually alters reality, it shouldn't be something that he wants to get so badly. If it's just an illusion, then why go to so much trouble to do it? And one place that we saw that it actually altered reality was it seemed that Peter Quill shot Gamora, but Thanos turned the laser blast into bubbles. Yeah, which he also did when Gamora tried to stab him. Yeah. The only thing I'm wondering about is, like, because there's the scene uh, in Nowhere uh, where... He alters, he, the Guardians plus Thor are trying to figure out what's going on. Thor is in that scene, right? No. He's not That's there, after they split. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Star-Lord, right. Drax, Mantis, and Gamora. Yes, okay. So they're, they're trying to sneak up on him. Go right. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he does the fist thing to make everybody stop, and they <laughs> just walk right by him. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. By the way, Star-Lord in this film, I know this is way off topic because we're talking about Thanos, yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> The and whole, everybody hates him. Yeah, and the whole scene with him and Thor is genius. <laughs> Not today, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Anyways, um, I, I got the impression that what Thanos was doing in all of those scenarios was altering reality for the other people. The, in other words, he sees what reality really is, and he's showing a different version of reality to them, and they just to see what kind of decisions they'll make. Yeah, but he was doing that... For a purpose. Yeah. So he was trapping them. But that's like what I mean. he was trapping like, Gamora. So that's what I mean. Like, I feel like the reality stone is the means by which to do the ultimate Jedi mind trick on other people, but it doesn't actually alter reality. Yeah. So that scene almost felt like the holodeck or something from yes. Star Trek. Right. Where all of a sudden he removes the curtain and now we can see how things really are. Yeah. I think he could have just as easily made nowhere intact again. Mm. I don't think he had to return it 
to the burning rubble yeah. that it had become at one point. Ah. Um, so you think the reality stone actually can alter reality itself? Yeah, because okay. I also think when he slices Drax into the cubes and Mantis into those ribbons, he could have left them like that really mm. forever. Mm. And I think that had to do with the reality stone, not the power stone at that point, um, or, or at least, you know, the both of them interacting. Yeah. And But then he left and chose to release them for whatever reason, probably just because they didn't seem like a real threat to him. It does create a question, though, because... I know this gets into the story a bit more than Thanos specifically, but if the reality stone really has the power to do that, why did he need all six stones in order to kill half the universe? That's that's where I kind of go with it. That's why I'm choosing to believe at this point that it's, it's just altering the reality for other people. But Justin's right. He did make bubbles come out of Star-Lord's gun when he tried to kill Gamora. Right, but he could have put... He could have made Star-Lord think that he was pulling a trigger he wasn't pulling. He could have, right? Yeah. Like, it's just that, that that Jedi mind trick can go a long ways yeah. if he wants it to. Um, okay, but I have a totally separate question about Thanos. Okay. Um, and this was this is actually a question that Monty... Listener Monty and I were talking about. So thank you, Monty, for this, because this is very intense. <laughs> so just heads up. He was <laughs> he was saying he is one of the people that does agree with Thanos's motivation. Mm-hmm. He said he made a qu- he made a comment that the only difference between what Thanos is trying to do being good or evil is whether or not God instructed him to do it. So, for comparison's sake, let me kind of... I think I know what Monty's getting at. In the Old Testament portion of the of Scripture, of, of the Bible, God instructs the Israelite people to, dissem- to um, disseminate... the wrong word. Decimate. Disseminate. Disseminate this food amongst people. No. Decimate populations of people. We would, I think all three of us in this room would say that God is good and that God is not evil. But we're also saying that Thanos, I think we would all say in this room that Thanos is evil. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? What is he, what is Thanos teaching anybody by what he does? I don't know. What is he teaching anybody? Like, well, I think Thanos' argument though would be that Without intervention, worlds across the universe will die. That's so. My 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 thought about Thanos's motivation is Thanos knows several things. One, he knows that his own world has been completely obliterated because of what people did to the world. Right? It'd be like saying that you know, with all the climate change we're experiencing and the how long can the earth continue the way that it is without dramatic changes? It would say like, we're doing that the way that Thanos' homeworld was doing that. And so what Thanos is saying is, I've seen the end conclusion of this and it's bad. I don't, now, I don't know if he's come up with a list of like 20 solutions to solve the problem without destroying half of the population, but all we know is that's his solution. And so he's moving forward, like you talked about already. So if he's moving forward with that, 
let's just say that he's tried other things and this is the, the way to go because is he saving systems that would otherwise be totally done? What's the difference? The difference for me is that scripturally, when God instructs people to kill, or like, for instance, the flood, when he wipes out the whole earth himself, yeah. it's, there's an end game to it. Mm-hmm. He's teaching something. You know, he's resetting things. He's creating a new covenant. He's doing it for the good, for his glory and for the good of those that he loves. Mm-hmm. I don't see that in Thanos at all. In Thanos, I see it as a knee-jerk reaction with a revenge mind. Mm. Like, and- he's like, my planet got destroyed, so you all should suffer the way that I suffered. Mm. And, and the mere fact that when he has the power to literally change reality... He can't get beyond just wiping out half the population. That's mm. the only thing he can think of. Yeah. That's not a God. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And in addition to God being good, God being love, I think God is also just. And so that there is a justice in the motivation. Yeah. And there is reason in our relationship to God that this that any act would be justified mm. by God. And none of this is justified between humanity's relationship with Thanos. They didn't know that he existed until he apparated in, if I can use a Harry Potter term, in this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) You can use one. I I won't know what it means. Um, I think that those are good answers. I think that for me, the way that I get over that hurdle, I think that, first of all, Thank you, Monty, for bringing that up. Yeah. Because that should be a conversation we are having. Because anybody who says, you wait a minute, you believe things that are in the Bible? Well, how is Thanos any different? That should be a conver- that should be something that someone asks. Yeah. Uh, and good for you for asking it because it forces us to go, yeah, well, what do I believe is true about God? And what do I believe that the Bible, if it's the Bible that I that I believe in, which I happen to, but if what do I believe that it's telling me? There's one, I think, really key difference between God and Thanos. And that is that too often times when we teach about God, we teach about God as if he exists inside our universe. Mm-hmm. We teach about God as if he is something that, um, that didn't create the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep using the pronoun he. I actually believe that that we just use that pronoun because it's been... It's just what we're used to. It's just what we're used to. I don't believe that actually there's a gender associated with God. So just FYI. Um, And I think what happens is that our construct of time is a construct that exists because of the expansion of the universe. That is why we have time. A being outside of the universe has no construct that is known as time, at least not the way that we would understand time. Which means that a being that exists outside the universe uh, would look at the universe happening all at one time and then would know every single possible outcome given every single possible stimulus. That is a thing we cannot know. In the conversation we had about chaos theory, chaos theory says there's so many variables, we have no idea if one variable changes what will happen to other variables. What I'm saying is, in my concept of God, he knows all the variables. That means that a God that says, you need to remove this population, 
unlike Thanos, like you're saying, Daryl, Thanos ultimately does not know what's right. going to happen. He is a being inside the universe. If being God is knowing all the variables, yeah. then Doctor Strange is God. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, that, and that's the thing, right? Like, like Doctor Strange can test all of the variables, right? right? Yeah. He can't even make all of the variables happen necessarily. Thanos now can because he has the Infinity Gauntlet. Now, you yeah. can make an argument. Does someone who has the Infinity Gauntlet, are they able to construct the universe in their own whatever they want it to be in their own, uh, like mindset to yeah. construct it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know the extent of the infinity gauntlet, but if God out exists outside of time and God says, I think that there's a misconception that God punishes because he's vindictive. I don't think that that's true. I think that God punishes because he's trying to protect. Um, and if you change your mindset to that, if I said to you, we talked about this on the, the Last Jedi podcast, would you kill baby Hitler? Well, we wouldn't because we don't know what will happen with baby Hitler. Yeah. Could you give baby Hitler other stimuli? <clears throat> well, guess who knows? In my definition, God knows. If God knows and God says, if I let, if I let, so there's two things that, that occur then. God can say, I know what the outcome of this is. I'm trying to protect a certain group of people, therefore this group of people will decimate this group of people. If I don't protect those people, then that scenario works. Um, and I think that that would be the most loving thing to do because if it's, if you said, ah, no, I'm not going to, I'm just going to let that happen. Now people will say, well, what about all the other things? Right? I still believe that there's free will and I still believe that there's sin. And those things were not God's choice. Those things were our choices inflicted upon the world to make it a world worse place. So I think that it's a more complex, I'm really glad Monty brought it up, but what do you guys, any responses to that? I mean, the uh, overly simplified version of what you just said that I heard one time that really fascinated me was we all know what we would do if we were omnipotent, if we were all powerful, we all know what we could, we would do, mm. but there is no way for us to know what we would do if we were omniscient, if we knew everything, if we knew all the possible outcomes, because there's no way for us to tr try that on. There's no way for us to test that. Right. And so it's one thing for us to say, yeah, well, I do this differently, but we have no idea what things have been avoided what um, graces have been given to us that didn't need to be or wouldn't have been. And when we're talking about the Infinity Gauntlet, I think that he does, the wearer does have the ability to sort of shape the universe in their own image, but it's still worn by a finite being. Yep. So they are able to potentially look into the future, go to the past, you know, be present in different times and all that stuff, but you're still being worn by a flawed individual. Mm -hmm. And so they don't take on, they take on some godlike tendencies, some godlike powers, but they don't take on the personality or the intrinsic nature of God. So I don't think, I, I believe that there's theological conversations about what you were saying about God knowing all the outcomes. I think that's called the middle knowledge of God. Hmm. And so I think Thanos could choose to activate the time stone similar to how Dr. Strange did and look at all the different things. But 
I don't think Thanos, I think Thanos would have to choose that. I don't think that like intrinsically becomes part of who he is. I think he has to choose to turn that on. So that's just an interesting, like he can access these godlike abilities, but that doesn't necessarily become who he, he is. Yeah. I also think to Daryl's point that Thanos's motivation, I think, is to relieve internal strife that he of what he has experienced in life. It is not to get the best possible outcome. And it's also yeah. to sort of say that I was right because this was my theory and you guys failed, so my theory is the only one that's right, which isn't it, it doesn't necessarily logically follow. Exactly. Yeah, and to go back to Monty's question about the difference being between whether or not God told Thanos to do what he's doing. Yeah. I just don't see how that would happen. I mean, God, as we believe in him, strikes a perfect balance between love and justice. Yep. And has done some incredible things throughout history as to exhibit that perfect balance. Mm -hmm. For instance, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Right. To save us from the wrath of sin. Yep. Thanos wouldn't do that. He sacrificed his own child. Right. But not for the sake of other people, for the sake of his own selfish pursuit. The ability to get the stone. Yeah, so it's yeah. actually a very malicious act of hate. It's not an act of love at all. And against her will, Yes. not in union. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's a key point, right? Because one of the things that you brought up earlier is, I think it was Justin, it could have been you. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry, let me finish this up before yeah, you yeah, do yeah. that. So the, the wrap-up to that thought was Thanos does not come across Thanos and his actions mm -hmm. do not come across in any way as a tactic that God would use to teach us about himself, mm -hmm. to grow us, to draw us closer to him. Yes. Whatever, you know, one of the things that when we choose to believe in God, we do take a leap and accept that some of these terrible things that happen in the world are in his control and understood by him. Yeah. And we are okay with that. I cannot take that leap with Thanos. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and it seems like it doesn't seem to me that Thanos is trying to eliminate evil from the world. No, he's not. I believe that when God, uh, when God, if God ever purposely, so to your point about justice, if God ever purposely moved, Remember, we're talking about an ice. We're talking about isolated stories in the Old Testament. Yeah, that is one perspective. Right, you must have more perspectives. Yeah, um, in an isolated perspective, you could be like, "Wow, God chose this group over this group, and then destroyed this group." Whoa! Now you could say, "Okay, well, if, if you understood the perfect scenario, that group was going to be very bad." In other words, God is acting out of a kindness to his creation. Right. Thanos is reacting to what he believes is the right thing to do given certain stimuli. Yeah. There's a key difference there because I, I, uh, one of you guys talked about he doesn't even choose who goes on, who lives, and who dies. He says himself that it's completely random, It's completely he? random. God, wouldn't, God doesn't do that. Now... Do bad things happen in the world? Uh, there could be an earthquake right now. This entire shed can fall on the three of us. You know, two live, one dies. And you'd say, well, 
But with the difference being, that's not something that God did. That's something that God allowed. That's right. separate. Yeah. So again, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't believe in, in the goodness of God, you're being like, I think this whole, th- this whole conversation is bullshit because I, I think that what you guys are like splitting all these hairs. But if you're going to choose to believe in God, you're going to choose to believe in, in A, a God that is not good. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to choose in option B, a God that is good. And I think that if you choose that option, I think you might be able to see it from our perspective. If you don't choose to see it that way, I don't think you're going to see it from our perspective. You're just going to see it the way you're going to see it. Yeah. And you might see it as Thanos, yeah. <laughs> honestly. No, I, I, I'm really impressed by this conversation because this was not the direction I was thinking right now. But thinking back on the movie the disciples or children of Thanos or whatever, they yeah. speak the black in, order. Yeah, they yeah. speak in kind of churchy ways. They say, rejoice for yeah. you are a sacrifice, you know, you are a chil- child of Thanos now, even in your death. So it feels a little bit well, the religious. One does. Yeah. Ebony Ma does. The others pretty much just shut up and just kill like, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but for someone whose image of God is based off of that one story in the Old Testament or uh, a deep hurt because evil does exist in the world, Thanos might be a picture of what God looks like to them. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's a conversation that happens in our culture. Yeah. So I'm impressed with you guys asking these questions and getting ahead of it. Cause that's not where I was going yet. And I haven't heard someone say that yet, yeah. that Thanos is a picture of what an, an all powerful being would be like, mm. or, or you believe in a God that is pretty much like Thanos. I haven't heard that yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if I, if we do. Yeah. That's a, that's a story geeks listener right there. Yeah, right? Yeah, Somebody yeah. who brings up that kind of question <laughs> is a story geeks listener for sure. So going back to the gauntlet really quick before we go on to our other questions, Mm -hmm. um, we were talking about, this is a little bit of the mechanics of the story again. So we were talking about the reality stone. How powerful is the reality stone? Does it really alter reality? Does it make it appear altered? I, there has to be something to the fact that he couldn't just do that until he had all of the stones. Mm -hmm. So that means to me, the soul stone and the mind stone are Terribly important. Yes. We don't really know what the Mind Stone does, mm-hmm. but clearly he couldn't do that until he got it. Yeah. There's, there's a certain indication that it's almost kind of like the um, like uh, decibels, right? Yeah. Like one decibel, if you go to two decibels, it's like, what is it, 100 times what one decibel is? Like, like that's what it seems like with the Infinity Stone. It's like, well, it's one decibel. But if you add two, it's... Whoa, it's two, it's not just double, it's like a hundred times what yeah. it would be. And then a the third one is a hundred times what that would be. And pretty soon you get to this thing that is like basically, I mean, the fact that he can snap his fingers and eliminate half the galaxy yeah. is ridiculous. And which is straight out of the comics. That's exactly what happened in the comics. Yeah. And um, but in the movie. It nearly, it seems like it nearly destroys the gauntlet. In the comics, that didn't happen. Yeah. Mm. Now, I like that in the movie. That's one thing, one of my, I know we're not talking about the movie at large, but one of my big gripes about this movie mm-hmm. is that I was really, really hoping that they weren't going to give us a Star Trek episode where they, they change 
everything <laughs> right? and then just retcon it really fast because they have the ability to do so. Like all those Star Trek time travel episodes where they just go back and everything's okay. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The status quo is back to normal. So I knew people would die and people did die even before the whole time wipe thing. Right, right, right. But I was really hoping that the Russo brothers would go beyond that and not just give us that everything's terrible, but we'll fix it yeah. kind of thing. Right. The jury's out on that. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> we don't know. I'm worried because well, it seems like that's what they're giving us. Well, we do know for a fact that they're going to make more Black Panther films. We know for a fact that there's another exactly. Spider-Man film. Exactly. Those characters cannot be dead. Exactly. But that's not to say that Avengers 4 will not deliver a story that feels satisfying. I agree. I hope it will. I think it and will. And it might. I think it will. And one thing I didn't really think of the first time when I first saw the movie, I saw it twice. So the first time I saw it, that was bugging me in my head. And yeah, the, the gauntlet seems to be messed up or maybe destroyed. That didn't really mean anything to me the first time. The second time I realized, oh, shoot, he can't undo what he did. Mm. Because it, it would seem that he damaged something beyond repair in doing it. In, in the gauntlet, you mean? Yeah, because mm. his hand is scorched. The gauntlet looks like it's destroyed. Yeah. I, the conditions of the stones, maybe you can't quite tell. But if the gauntlet's destroyed, he can't wield the stones anymore. I mean, if they were so brave to say, like, no, that's that's the new world. Like, like for example, if, if suddenly the, the next Spider-Man film was actually before this happened and not a continuation of the story, if we had other Black Panther films, but again, they were beforehand, um, or we had a Miles Morales type, takeovers that yeah. would be the bravest thing in the history of cinema <laughs> bravest but also stupidest because when when they do that in the comics it yeah. pisses everybody oh, off totally agree yeah totally agree because yeah. you can't you can't give us these characters and then you just be like sorry take yeah. me away let's change everything that's what now we can the, start over and get new fans you know? that's what happens like, the last jedi a lot of people that's their dislike of that film is you're messing with these characters mm. it's just the difference is that's 40 years this is Less than 10 when it comes to Black Panther and Homecoming. And this is, that's or Spider-Man. That's like last year. For me, Last Jedi is a good example of what I hope they do. Mm. For me, Last Jedi is a great story that involves retconning. That's okay. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping Avengers 4 yeah. will do. And Black Panther came out this calendar year. Isn't that crazy? It is. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, by the way, Disney owns the movies this year. Oh, yeah. And this movie became the highest grossing opening weekend ever, <laughs> domestically and, and globally. globally. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, I saw an image on Facebook right before we started that, um, I think, was it Lucasfilm? They basically posted a picture of Ray's hand passing a lightsaber oh, to, I, to Iron Man's hand. Yeah. And it was... It was it was Star Wars congratulating Marvel on taking it over because yeah. it was the Force Awakens before that. That was pretty good. Anyhow, so we don't know what the mechanics of it are yet, but I I still hold to my belief that if Thanos was truly trying to do good, he would have done it another way than wiping out half the universe's population. I totally agree. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. if, if his motivation was love and his motivation was to restore, he would have been seeking the Infinity Gauntlet to be restorative, not destructive, not destroyed to... Re so this is a common... It's actually a little bit of a trope in a lot of superhero things. Like, I must destroy everything so that it can grow back appropriately, as opposed to a, 
well, no, we can actually try and just work better at this, right? Yeah. It's 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 an impose it's an imposition of a being's will against the will of other beings. Right. Um and that done specifically vindictively for that's the selfish benefit of the one person or whoever randomly gets to go through. It's a very different thing, I think, but it's, it's an yeah. interesting conversation. Mm. Yeah. Well, speaking of love, I'm going to take us in a different direction here. <laughs> please, please. So uh, does it bode well that we spent like 45 minutes on the very first question? <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> I've got no plans tonight. <laughs> Let's pour some coffee Settle and get this going. <laughs> My favorite podcasts are long ones that are on good discussions, so I'm okay with as this. As long as they're good discussions, yeah. I think we're off to a good start. Okay, so speaking of love, I want to talk about Gamora. Um, in the movie, we see Thanos. We see evidence that Thanos loves Gamora and that that is the only thing that he seems to love. And by the way, one of my favorite scenes in the whole freaking movie when we get to the reveal of the Red Skull. Oh, yeah. I, I threw my hands up in the air when I saw that. I was like, what? <laughs> Well, we I'm just so talked. Happy. We just talked on our "Get Ready for Infinity War" podcast yeah. about what happened to the Red what Skull. What happened to the Red Skull? Uh, yeah, he's become a ring wraith. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or what I think they were going for. If you look at him, he looks exactly like Death from the comics. The the uh, silhouette with the robe and yeah. everything. Oh, uh, interesting. And even the skeletal structure of his face. Yeah. Yeah. Thanos is like. You're looking pretty good tonight, Red Skull. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Nathan, please don't make that the intro to this podcast. (laughs) Now he will. Uh, Now he's going to make, but he'll follow it with your comment probably. (laughs) So, yeah. So, okay. So we're presented with the idea that Thanos loves Gamora. And so he has to sacrifice her in order to obtain the soul stone. So yet Gamora is not his daughter in reality. Nebula is his daughter. So, which we don't really get to see the mechanics of, but we're made to understand that that's true. Nebula is his biological daughter. So why do you guys think that he has so much more affection for Gamora than he does for Nebula? Jay, why don't you start on that one? I think Thanos sees himself in Gamora. So in other words... We don't know exactly how it went down. That um, what's Thanos' planet's name? Titan. 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 We don't know how exactly how Titan was laid waste, but I get the sense that Thanos was young in that process, and so that when he sees Gamora, she's a person who's been removed from her family because she can't find her her parents, um, and that it shows that he still has some level of compassion. Now I think that compassion may be self-focused because he sees himself in Gamora. Now we don't know that. I'm, that's an assumption I'm making based on what he seems to be concerned with. But I think that his, his kind of affinity for her is look, I've rescued you from the position that I was in. So I am now your savior. Let me try and shape you in the way that I have been shaped so that I can have a disciple of sorts. That's the sense that I get. The the story doesn't really give us that, but that's where I would go with it just based on what I know about Thanos, based on what I know about his history, and then based on a little bit about what I know about Gamora too. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, and I'm kind of inferring and deducing in my answer as well. And I think it has to do with her strength and her ability to overcome. It seems that she has been a more reliable source of getting the job done, a more reliable member of the, what did you call it, the Black... The Black Order? The I think Black Order, if, if she right. was a part of that or just one of his servants. Um, it seems that she was more successful as an assassin, as an operative, than Nebula was. So I think as he is someone that obviously hungers after power, hungers after strength, is seeking to become more and more powerful, strong, she is displaying that more consistently than Nebula is. Hmm. I, I, I'm like falling right into that. Like, I think the same, like, that's what I think he's, he's seeing that in her and it's because he felt that way. And now there's this sense. I totally agree with what Justin's saying there. I think there's something else to it also where he chose Gamora. And I sort of get the sense that he did not choose Nebula. Uh, Nebula is something that more happened to him. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what procreation is like on Titan. I don't I don't know if <laughs> he had a mate or and it was an unplanned pregnancy. I don't know those things, but there's certainly a sense that Gamora has this representation of him being right about mm. what he's trying to do in the universe. Like he saved Gamora. And so it's not so much I feel like he loves her as a person, per, person, person. <laughs> he loves her as what he believes is a picture of his ideal coming true. Hmm. And we also don't totally know if they are peers in the sense of age, Gamora and Nebula. Right. And so if every time Nebula failed at something, he implanted an upgrade. And we know from watching... Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Volume 1 that Nebula is able to come back from some pretty gnarly stuff because she is able to just snap back into position yeah. and all of that. She has failed a lot. He has upgraded her a lot. So I wonder if he had given up on her at some point before he met Gamora and then Gamora was version 2, stronger, yeah. better, faster, and he just didn't... He maybe Gamora was what he wished Nebula could have been. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think uh, the scene where you... So, okay, so there's a lot of death in the, in the movie, <laughs> which I if I think we talked about before. I kind of wanted, which sounds morbid, but yeah, not that I wanted people to die, but I wanted there to be stakes. Yeah. And when we talked about Logan... One of the things that I loved about that movie was that someone died and it mattered. Yeah, Multiple exactly. Multiple people died and it mattered. Totally. And even though we got deaths, yeah, this is one of my other little gripes about the movie. Yeah, I didn't feel any of them. Oh, so you didn't? I felt the dread of them coming. Yeah. But once that character was gone, I was like, oh, I don't feel all that different. Like, so when. The moment when you realize that he's going to sacrifice Gamora, yeah, I did feel a sense of anxiety about that. I'm like, oh no, yeah. But after he actually did it, I'm like, okay, Gamora's dead. 
I don't know why. And same thing with Loki, same thing with Heimdall. Yeah. The other one that I felt probably most strongly was Peter. Peter Good. Parker. I was going to say, yeah. if you didn't feel that yeah, one. Yeah. Like when he grabs Tony and he's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Yeah. You know. But I, I don't know. It's like, man, maybe it's just the wipe away of everybody at the end of the movie invalidates the other deaths or cheapens them in some way. And this is not what I asked about, but apparently I hadn't talked about it. And <laughs> at the end of the film, we don't get a chance to live without those people. So yeah. I think we'll feel it in Avengers 4 when they don't have their friends and they're thinking back on times and when, when life happens without them, the wipe away is so shocking and then the movie ends. Yeah. So there's not much time to play with that. And then there is so much that happens in this movie that I feel like you don't have much time to miss Loki or Gamora or anything. But when Thor is sitting on the spaceship and Rocket decides to be the captain and go talk to him, I felt the loss of his brother. And yeah, when the performance, yeah. yeah. And when Peter abruptly ends their plan of getting uh, the gauntlet because he's filled with rage and sorrow, I felt that. Yeah. And so I, I felt it in the moments that I was supposed to feel it, but there's so much that happens in the movie. You're right. You almost forget that you're losing people because yeah. we have to get on to the next thing. We've only got two and a half hours to tell the story. Yeah. Uh, just a, just a note about that that I think is interesting. Like, if you said like, what is it about death that is so impactful to our lives? There's a sense that none of us has an absolute one hundred percent for sure. This is what's going to happen after my brain, after the energy leaves my body and leaves my brain. That there's the that there's, that there's like a happy thing, that there's a bad thing, that there's a nothing thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows that because no one comes back to tell us after no, they experience it. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I think what happens is in these fantastical worlds, we're given so many different versions. We're given the astral plane. We're given the uh, spiritual plane. I don't remember they call it the spiritual plane in Black Panther. Or yeah, the ancestral yeah. plane, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anyways, we're given all of these different dimensions of reality, and I think something that is interesting is that when we don't know what happens in the next phase of existence, if there is one, because many people listening to this podcast would be like, "There isn't one. It's just blackness." So, yeah. When that's the case the rift that is created in our in our hearts when death occurs is 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 irreversible so far as we can tell now many of us put beliefs on top of that and um and i'm i for one am somebody who puts beliefs on top of that so i don't believe it's a rift that lasts forever but the problem is when we're shown in stories that these other dimensions exist and that there's time stones that exist that reverse things for us it's not the same as when we experience it in real life. So other stories that do this really well, for example, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, when Peter Quill's mom dies at the beginning of the film, there is no sense whatsoever that she is going to be restored in any way, shape, or form to his life. So that we know that that instance, that occurrence, will shape him forever. And it's never going to change. 
It's never going to be reversed. There's nothing that's going to like the whatever good or bad happened to her is something that he has to deal with now. Same thing with Spider-Man and Uncle Ben, right? It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. That is a formative. Same thing as Batman, and it's a different world. Batman and his parents. Yeah. In these films, when you show us, and when the worlds become these multiverses, all of a sudden we don't. We're just going like, oh yeah, it probably doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. Because the assumption is that Peter goes, "I'm really sorry, I failed you. I don't want to go." And you're like, "I know another movie's coming out." I'm pretty confident someone's going to get the gauntlet in reverse time, and that person's going to be restored. You cannot mourn that anymore because you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's probably temporary. Yeah, especially when they're planting the seeds. Like you can, if you watch the movie, you can pick out how they can fix everything. Like yeah, they introduced us to the dwarf that created the gauntlet yeah. and showed us the mold that he used to create the gauntlet. That's right. So if we need another one, that's right. he can do it. That's so, right. Yeah. Just call... Uh, the Lannister clan from Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> See, to me, he's a uh, uh, shoot. He's a uh, Miles Finch from Elf. That's oh. what he is to me. <laughs> Call me I'm Elf like, one more time. We bring him in. <laughs> Tyrion, Tyrion Lannister is uh, an awesome character from Game of Thrones. So yeah, I, I don't have the I don't yeah. have the context. But he's so he's cool. Enough, anyways. But Miles Finch from Elf is an awesome character. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. What's more vul- vulnerable than a peach? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. What was I talking about? You well, the, we were talking about <laughs> you were talking about Gamora and Thanos, and then you were gonna yes. you're gonna reverse it and talk about how Gamora feels about Thanos. <laughs> I was here. You answer that first. <laughs> yeah. This, I this can, is how you know we send questions to each other ahead of time because I did not <laughs> ask that question, but he knew it was coming. Yeah. So you want me to answer that? Yeah. So yeah, does Gamora have affection for Thanos? She definitely has a need for a father figure, mm-hmm. and he's the only one she remembers. Um, so, you know, when she kills him, or when she believes that she kills him in nowhere, in the collector's uh, place, she is totally broken up about it. Like, yes, he's evil. Yes, he needed to go. She did it to save everybody, but she just murdered her father. Mm. And she's completely distraught over it. So I don't know if it's affection so much as he's all she ever had, Mm. which is super, super tragic. Mm -hmm. But as a well, she's not human, but as a living being, they still seem to present the idea that you long for that presence in your life. Mm -hmm. So it's tragic that he's what she has to begin with. But losing that and having nothing is still tragic. Yeah. Yeah. In C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves, he describes kind of the lowest love as affection, which is just more or less familiarity with something. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I experienced this when I'm working at Disneyland and people learn that an attraction has gone away or something. (laughs) There's an affection for that thing. You miss it just because it was and now it's not. It doesn't mean that you had a deep relationship with it, and some people do have a very deep relationship with some of our attractions, but it just simply means good old so-and-so, the the person who used to work at that desk that you walk by that you may never talk to other than morning is all of a sudden gone. And so I think you're right. Not only does she need a father figure, but just he has been a staple of her life, 
And there's also a release of I Can't Believe I'm Finally Free, I think, in those tiers. So there's a lot going on. But I think there is, at the very least, a familiar love for Thanos, just that he is family. And we all have family that, for better or worse, we love them. Yeah. I think there's also a component to, like, it's kind of like the family members that you have. Because I think she knows to a certain degree that Thanos loves her. There's a moment where she's like, yeah, you know, nothing. you, you love nothing. So you're never going to be able to get the soul stone. I think she knows though. She kind of knows in the, in the, in the back of her mind that he actually does love her. And I think, you know, you see this, I've, I've seen, I've never experienced this directly myself, but I've seen some of my friends go through this and I can, and I can kind of imagine it, um, that the family member you have that is addicted to something and you're like, or, or to a lesser extent, maybe, maybe we have the family member who doesn't agree with us politically, whatever side you're on. Right. (laughs) And it's like, I still love that person, but that person I feel like is, is so misguided. And it's not like you want that person to just be eradicated. Quite the contrary. You want that person to be redeemed. Yeah. To turn from whatever it is that they're doing. That's hurtful whether it's opinions or actual addictions or whatever it is. And so I think that Gamora has that kind of love. Cause I think she probably sees again, I'm putting a lot on this story, but if, yeah. if, if Thanos loves her because he sees himself in her, I think she can then relate back to him because now she can go, Oh, I see why he loves me. He loves me because I, he experienced similar things that I experienced. And there's this like shared life but the the result is different because I don't believe in the way, things that he believes in, and I would like to see him turned. And I, then, yeah. even when we're talking about love, it's like love the feeling versus love the action. Yeah. So I don't think Gamora feels very loved by Thanos, at least not in the way that she wants to be loved by a father. And I think you're right that she understands that he does have some kind of a feeling that he's been expressing in his horrible ways of training them, of militarizing them, of making them stronger because that's what he thinks everybody needs, that there is a kind of love that he has that's just so flawed and broken. Yeah. I think we sort of see a, a progression in, in Gamora's character which to me sort of proves that she loves the idea of a father more than she loves Thanos specifically. Mm. Because when she believes she kills him at nowhere, she's totally distraught about it. But it's almost like that was an experience that was a purge in a way. Yeah. Because later on, when they're at the quest for the Soul Stone and she believes that he's about to fail, like she's delighting in it. Like, mm. I don't think that same regard exists anymore after she believes that she kills him. Hmm. So I think it's sort of something that she gets out of her system and almost realizes that it's not him. It's something I'm missing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here's the scene I want to see. This is an end credit scene that I'd like to see at the end of number four, Avengers number four. It's now that we'll say that Disney buys out (laughs) Fox I want to see Thanos laying down on a long couch and I want to see Professor X just sitting next to him and being like, (laughs) 
Now you can see, Thanos, how this maladaptive behavior is not good for you, right? Let's go back into your history for a moment. <laughs> the therapy session with Professor Xavier. That's what Thanos. Professor X sounds like in your head. He sounds like an old British gentleman who, yeah, he does not sound like uh, James McAvoy, actually. Or Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> no. But you're delivering those lines bald. And so yeah. the impression worked exactly. for me. For anyone not that's just listening, I have Professor X's haircut. <laughs> you do? Yeah. Although I have a beard, so I kind of ruined it. I'm sure he's had beards. But yeah. it looks awesome. <laughs> Professor X is missing out. He should have had a beard he this whole time. Had a beard. Thanos wouldn't have done all this. If only Professor X had a beard, I wouldn't have destroyed half the world. So I know where some of our conversation is going. And so just to begin to link because to some of that. Because you've used the time stone to look at the 14 exactly million different possibilities. of The time head. stone being <laughs> Gmail. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that Gamora's progression is based on her experience of Thanos. Yeah. And I think that everyone in that movie responds to Thanos the way they do because of what they know or have seen about Thanos. So the closer they are to Thanos, the more they are afraid of him, the more they are ready to fight him. The less they know, the less they've seen him, the more likely they are to just think, oh, he's he's baddie number three, he's baddie number two. We've We've dealt with this before. Okay, well, let's go down that road. Let's talk about the other characters. Um... So, I mean, we don't have to go through. I have a list of characters here. I'll just read them off, and then you guys can hit on the ones you want to hit on. We don't have to talk about each of them individually. But he definitely does inspire dread in lots of the characters in the movie. I don't think he does in all of them, like you were just talking about, Justin, but I think he does in some of them. So the ones that I feel like he inspires dread in would be Tony Stark, Vision, Wanda, Loki, Bruce, Peter Quill, and we're going aside from Gamora here because we already talked about Gamora. So what do you guys think about his interaction with those specific characters or other characters that you think he inspires fear in? Why do you think they fear him? We spoke last week in depth about Iron Man in relationship to Avengers Age of Ultron. And I felt that Avengers Age of Ultron rehashed some themes of Iron Man 3, and I think that this movie is justifying more of a lot of things that have happened for me. It's making sense of some of the stories because Tony has been horrified by Thanos since Avengers. He didn't know it was Thanos, but he knew aliens came out of a wormhole and this is the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. And so at the very beginning of this movie, Bruce says that was Thanos. And so... The paranoia, the fear, the nightmares, uh, the PTSD, everything we've seen Tony go through in the last few movies all tie back to Thanos. And so even though he didn't have a name, he didn't have a face, he has a relationship with this being already. And so going back to what I was just saying, the more you've experienced Thanos and the more you know about him, the more you fear him. And so Tony has already feared Thanos for several movies. Yeah, I think with Tony, and I think, for, so for me, the common thread amongst these characters is what it has to do with them personally. So mm. for me, I feel like the reason Tony fears Thanos, partially because of what you said, but partially also 
Tony's great mission, if you go back to the first film, was to set aside all of his own self-interests and warmongering for the purpose of saving other people. And Thanos represents something that he potentially cannot save people from. It represents his failure. And he's scared to death of that because not only can he not deliver on what he set out to do, maybe it wasn't the right thing to do in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he's thinking, did he cause all of this? Would Earth have been invaded if the Avengers didn't come together? Like, hmm. like what, you know, I'm not wording this exactly right, but what does it all basically cost him? And what if, what, what does his actions cost other people? I think is what he's afraid of too. I think there's one, this, it's interesting to me because I, as I look at this list, one of the things that's sort of popping out for some of the characters, not all of them, but those that fear Thanos more have better self-awareness of their own destructive capabilities and their own, their own internal demons. But have not overcome them yet. Exactly. Because if you look at... So I listed a few characters that I think don't fear him. Yeah. Thor, Captain America, Doctor Strange, Black Panther. And in some cases, you're right, Justin, There's these characters have not had a whole lot of interaction with him. But I also feel like those characters are very secure in who they are. Like, Doctor Strange is not that different from, from Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. They've been through similar journeys of being selfish and yeah. learning to put others first. Yeah. But I feel like Stephen Strange really seems to have left all of his selfish demons behind yes. and really lived into being self-sacrificial, whereas Tony can't quite seem to completely let go of it. Yeah, and actually, the, the, the thought that I had that I was going to complete, and I don't think this is true of Black Panther. So you have Thor, Cap, Doctor Strange, Black Panther. I don't think this is true of Black Panther, but I actually think it is true of the other three. There is a certain level of self-confidence that almost goes all the way into arrogance and hypocrisy. Hmm. I know that sounds crazy because these are actually, some of these guys are are heroes and in a good way, but their own, their own self-worth is like cap. For example, I don't think that his hypocrisy is a, a, a hypocrisy of, um, of ill will. I just think he thinks, and it actually is kind of the spirit of America. We'll get through it. We'll just work hard enough. We'll just get through it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that he realizes that there are some things that you can't just work through cap. Like he hasn't, and, and, and actually he should have learned that in civil war, but I don't think he did yet. I don't mm-hmm. think he's completely learned that lesson with Thor. He should have learned it in, in Ragnarok, but I don't think he did. He comes back with kind of a, like a, well, he did this to me, so I'm going to go back and do bad stuff to... It's like, that's a different lesson than Loki learned. Loki learned, like, man, there's some stuff that's valuable that I have to give up, and I don't know that I can give that stuff up. So all of the characters who struggle with the idea of Thanos are those who say, I see the evil in myself. Like, I could be Thanos. (laughs) Whereas these guys are like, nope, I have my principles. I live by my principles. My principles are right even when they may not be right in certain certain, certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, and that's where I think Black Panther might even fit in a little bit. Um, there, there's, there's this sense that uh, 
And I think that we even go through those cycles personally in the real world. I'm living good right now, man. Like I've got it all together. My principles are right and my principles are good. And there's sometimes when you're like, what in the world am I doing? I could become uh, Thanos. I can become a villain right now. And that self-realization makes you not only fear what you would be able to do, but makes you fear the capabilities that other people have if there's no self-restraint whatsoever. Mm. I think that that plays a role in that to a certain degree. Yeah. When I was training to be a counselor, one of the things that one of my instructors said was remember that you're only one decision away from wherever that person is. Mm. Um, You know, by the grace of God, I'm not dealing with what this person is dealing with. And I could be with, with uh, the right situations, with the right stimuli, I'm capable of anything. Yep. And so to keep that empathy and humility in a relationship with a, a directee or a client um, is important. But yeah, now for them to be able to have that self-awareness that I'm capable of this, he's capable of horrible things, and he's powerful enough to do them. Um, I w- as you were listing off those different reasons, I feel like um, there's also a couple other things at play in my mind. I think Thor is trusting in his strength and in Stormbreaker. He's been told this is a God-killing weapon. This will work. So I think he has an unchecked belief that he's just going to win. I think Cap, even from the first time we meet him, when he's getting beat up as a little scrawny guy, he's just the guy that doesn't back down from a fight. So I think Cap will, you know, eventually die fighting mm-hmm. because he he just won't know when to stop for his own good even. The ultimate death for Cap, if Cap had died in this movie, which we reasonably could have expected because that happens in the Infinity Gauntlet. He dies because, like, uh, Thanos basically just bitch slaps him <laughs> and, and he dies. And I was just thinking like, this is, this would be like a Joss Whedon type death here. Cause Joss Whedon really likes to make you feel death, but it would have been if cap was fighting Thanos and Thanos said something like, this is pointless. Why are you fighting? You know? And then cap says, I could do this all day. But he doesn't get to finish the sentence. He's like, I could do this all. <laughs> and yep. then Thanos just like kills him before he can finish this. That would be the that worst. That would have been a super Joss Whedon thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Doctor Strange, he has the knowledge now. He knows that we can beat him, even if there are however many million ways that we can't. Yeah. Um, so I feel like each of them are kind of relying in either... Their mental abilities for Doctor Strange, their just physical strength in the case of Cap, or even like with Thor, like the sense of destiny or just he will beat him. Yeah, they're all relying on something, but it's ultimately, at least at this point, misplaced. I will say this. I do think that we were complaining about the deaths a little bit earlier, but one thing I think that the deaths really help with leading into four, if they remain through most of that film, which I really hope that they do. The really cool thing about the deaths is that they give these other characters motivations that are pretty outstanding. Yeah. Because like, so for example, Stark, 
Stark is a guy who's trying to control everything. Even himself realizes that he can't. This is like he go, it goes into alcoholism in the actual comics, I think, right? So like take a guy like that who's constantly trying to control to the extent to which he's trying to make sure no one dies. He's trying to make sure all, everything's under control. He's going to get married now, so he's got to control that. Like, everything's got to be control, 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 control. Now, having Spider-Man die in front of him saying, like, I don't want to go is now the thing that says, I will do this at all costs because I must. Where I may have stopped short before, I can no longer stop short. This is the imperative. And I think that that's going to be the case for all of these people. Like there's, there's for the people like Thor, like Thor and Steve and, um, well, they're the only two people left actually. Um, for those two people, uh, I think that both those guys are going to now come back with the same mindset. Like this is not a joke. The most powerful being in the universe is not a joke. This is not something that will be washed away like we've washed everything else away or fought away, basically. It yeah. will not be pounded out of existence. This is something different. I think that that's, that's the cool part about those deaths with there. And then I think one thing that he has to overcome is that whatever that was about Thanos knowing who Stark was and respecting him... I want to know more about that. How I do you know too. who Stark is? I don't know. Why was Stark in his head? Like... Yes, somebody thwarted the Chitari's attack on New York. But how does he know that it's Stark? Like, I'm fascinated by that. Mm, yeah. Good question. But now that's got to be burned in Tony's mind because there are so many people in Tony's history that think he's a monster because he produced weapons. And now Thanos sees him not as a peer, but as someone that he respects. And he cannot let that stand. Mm. He mm-hmm. He has to change Thanos's mind about who he is. Yeah. I'm super fascinated by by Doctor Strange's death because he clearly whatever he saw that was that one outcome. Yeah. Clearly it didn't include him. Mhm. Yep, which is fascinating. Yes. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning he was like I will protect the time stone at all costs. I will gladly let you and your friends die in order to protect the time stone, you know. Yeah. And then he sacrifices not only the time stone, but himself, which is true to his character, yeah. in order to achieve that one goal. He's like, we're in the end game now. Yeah. Which must have involved Tony yeah. because he was saving him. Yeah. Yeah. And which if it doesn't involve Tony, then that's a bad way to wrap up 10 years of MCU films. Yeah. <laughs> he was the first hero. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I do think, though, that uh, the strange death is not as impactful as the vision death because strange knows that that one possible outcome. By the way, my wife leaned over to me. This is really funny. My wife leans over to me after he says, like, there's like 14 point whatever million or whatever billion. She goes. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> never a wrong time for a Dumb and Dumber reference. Never, never. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Anyways, um, I think that the difference between, like, Vision does not see a way for him to come back, for himself to come back. He, that's truly self-sacrificial. Whereas for Doctor Strange, it's an inevitability, and it's also a roll of the dice because he's probably going to come back and could see that outcome if that one outcome takes place. I'm not convinced Vision is dead. I think he would have been dead had Thanos not turned back time. Because I think what Wanda did to him, 
really did kill him. Destroying the stone in his head yeah. did destroy him. But Thanos ripping it out of his head, yeah. I don't believe it killed him. Yeah, he changed color. Uh, is it Shiri had already done Shuri. a fair amount of work? Yeah. So hopefully that served a purpose other than yeah. just keeping Wanda up in that room. And we got that whole speech earlier in the movie from Banner where he's like, you are a vast construct of yes. all these different things. Yeah. Jarvis, Ultron, Tony, myself. Like, yeah. maybe there would be more vision left. Maybe the best parts. You yeah. Know? I think what I, what I was pointing to, I, I can get behind that for sure. Yeah. What I was pointing to was more of the selflessness that it took to make the decision. Yeah. Vision's, yeah. Vision's decision. And consequently, Scarlet, um, Scarlet Witch's decision are, is the most self-sacrificial decision in the movie. Yes. Yeah. For the protection of everyone else. And then Thanos comes and just ruins it and saying, <laughs> yeah. I made that sacrifice earlier too. Yeah. And it's like, no, you didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. Good. They're playing off it like some good themes there. Okay. Let me just throw out a couple more questions here because I know we're, we're getting a lot of time on this one. Um, so the journey for Thanos to gather up all of the stones... Do you think he changed at all over the course of that journey? Or was he just Thanos the whole time and he became even more Thanos? But it, he had to go through a lot to get each one. So I'm just wondering if it evolved him or changed him in any way. What do you think, Justin? I think he has a better understanding of his relationship with his family. He had an inkling that Gamora would try to kill him. And that's why he set up that whole thing on in nowhere. But I, I think that he has a little bit of a clearer view of reality, knowing that this thing he loves does not love him back. Um, he's completely alone in this quest. So I think he has a clearer view of reality, but it's still so skewed through his own lens because it makes him more and more sure throughout the entire movie that his goal is righteous. His goal is the only way. And he's the good guy for being the one willing to make the sacrifice. So my, my answer is no. I don't think he changes. <laughs> I, I, I think he acquires more knowledge. He acquires more power. So there is a road he travels. But um, I don't think... He comes out the other side a different guy. Um, I think he sets out uh, a couple movies ago, but let's just say at the beginning of this movie, to get the stones, snap his fingers, sit and watch a sunset and smile, and he does that. So I think some things are clearer, but I don't think he changes. Hmm. I think this is, a, this is a really key definition of... Uh, there is a preferred definition, at least in my mind as a writer, of protagonist, antagonist. A lot of people will say, oh, protagonist is the hero. Yeah. And the antagonist is the villain. Um, I don't think that that's actually correct. You can even look it up in the dictionary, and that's sometimes how it's defined. However, a better description, and I, I don't remember where I got this. It's, it's not my original thought. It's coming from another writer, was that the protagonist is the one who has the goal. Yeah. And the antagonist is the one who seeks to prevent the protagonist from reaching that goal. 
So a lot of films, especially superhero films, are actually the protagonist is the villain and the antagonists are the heroes trying to prevent the villain from doing something nefarious. Um, in this film, I think we see that Thanos is not only the main character, he's the protagonist, and it is his goal to make the world in his own image or his own thought process of being a better place. And he's willing to sacrifice much to get there. So, so he does have a journey. He does have a path to walk. The path gets harder and harder. Um, he almost dies at least twice. Um, he almost dies when he gets the axe through his chest. Mm -hmm. But before that, he almost dies um, when they almost pulled the gauntlet off his hand. Right, yeah. So we're seeing a character who is very driven to do this thing. Um, and it's only going to do more nefarious things to achieve his overarching vision. Um, so I, I do think he develops, but in terms of having a mindset change, uh, I don't believe that exists. The only argument I could make if I'm playing devil's advocate against myself, cause I'm actually going to more so agree with Justin, um, is that the change that's made in his mind is what truly is more important? Do I double down on my end goal because the universe and my perception of what the universe needs to be is more important or is love of family more important? Cause the person who I would like to see become me, I have to sacrifice them in order to do it. That's the only mindset shift I think that we could potentially see occur, but it's more like a temptation than it is like um, a shift in perspective. Cause he's going to do the same thing regardless. He just, it's just going to cost him more to do that thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think I, I agree. I don't think he changes a whole lot, but I think he becomes more desperate mm. over the course of it. I think you would think that with each stone he gets, he would become more confident because he has more power. Right. But I feel like it's exactly the opposite. I feel like with each stone he gets, he realizes how badly he needs them all in order to accomplish his goal, thus making him more desperate. And he learns as he goes, I can be beaten, mm. you know? Yeah. Like, like you said, he almost died. Thor almost took him out. Yeah. So I think he just gets more and more dependent on the gauntlet as he goes through, mm. which doesn't change his mind in any way. But, and then I feel like after he snaps his fingers even though the gauntlet seems destroyed, he has that sense of relief on his face mm. right before the film cuts to black. Yeah. And I feel like you almost can read, oh, I didn't know if this was going to happen. Thank God I made it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, my last question is, let's look forward a little bit. What do you guys think is next for Thanos? What do you think we'll see in Avengers 4? What do you hope we'll see in Avengers 4? Justin, you look really ready to answer this question. Do I? You do. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't anticipate that we... So he will need to come up with a new mission because he's accomplished what he set out to do. So will he decide to sit on his throne and seek to now be the ruler of everyone that survives? I'm not sure. But I think what he wants now is almost recognition 
I think he wants people to understand, like what he was trying to explain to Gamora, that everyone in, on your planet now goes to bed with a full stomach. Life is better. I think he will want the recognition and the accolades and the praise for being merciful, for doing something good, and he will get mad that he's not getting it. Um, and then I think that will drive him into even more erratic things and he'll become more unhinged and that'll be horrifying and exciting to watch. And when he's being opposed by the Avengers, uh, he'll be confused by that. Don't you understand what I've done? So I think there's going to be a sense of entitlement to recognition for the sacrifices that he's made, the power that he's culminated into having and the act that he did. I think he's going to want recognition for that. And taking it slightly out of that question, in um, Avengers Age of Ultron, Tony's dream, we see all the Avengers dead in that battlefield. Those Avengers are still alive. Yeah. Mm. And so I think we're going to see that play out mm. in the next one. I think there's going to be a pretty horrible battle that will take a toll on the rest of the Avengers until um, everything does get set right to some extent. I um, It's interesting that you say that because I agree with the latter part of it for sure. I think when it comes to Thanos, I actually think that he may become reclusive. I think that he may become hands-off. Now, what I think will happen in the meantime and will be a future setup of future stories, potentially, if they don't reverse it all completely, which I think is a possibility. Um, I think that different sub-factions will start to rule the half-populations in tyrannical ways. I think that the Avengers challenge will be to find Thanos. They will become the protagonists and their job will be to find him and defeat him despite him trying to pull away. He's like, I've accomplished what I've accomplished. I'm just going to sit here on my throne. The world is, the universe is as it should be. Um, And it is their job to go out and find him and take it back when he, when that's almost impossible because he has the infinity gauntlet and he can do whatever he wants. So I think that would be interesting to see which, if they ramp him up, or if they cool him down and to see what the Avengers do in the meantime, they could go either way. I think they have to go one of the two ways. He can't just, I don't think he can be like half tyrannical and only ruling over one planet. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't make as much sense. So he's either going to have to like want power over everything and becoming unhinged, or he's going to have to becoming a, a recluse and they have to go find him one or the other. Yeah. And there's some storylines in the comics where he does become a recluse. Like, after they defeat him, they choose to let him live. And he just, like, pretty much has that life where he's farming or something like that. (laughs) And he's watching the sunset. And, yeah, because I... Ultimately, I don't think he wants to be around people. (laughs) Yeah, right. He clearly doesn't love them. Not really. Mm. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be some element of the gauntlet coming back into play. Because, like I said, we saw the dwarf and we saw the gauntlet mold. Mm. So we know that another gauntlet can be made. 
and probably does have to be made in order to fix things. Yeah. Right. To bring all the dead people back. If they really are dead. I've heard a lot of theories that they're not dead. They're just trapped inside the soul stone Mm. or something like that. Mm. I don't really know how that works, but so I'm wondering if it's going to be the kind of thing where the heroes will try and make another gauntlet and get the stones back from him in order to change things. Mm. So I'm kind of with you, Jay. I kind of feel like he might be the recluse. He might actually believe that he's succeeded in what he wanted to do and he doesn't have to be the mad titan anymore. He can just lay back and be proud of himself and then they're going to come in and just totally interrupt that and try and get the stones back from him in order to fix things. The, the one thing I think that could happen that I think is more of a comic book, and you, you and Dale on the DCC talked about this. I thought this was really interesting. Like It's the most comic book movie we've the most comic book movie we've ever seen. It totally is. It it's, totally is. It's the best version of comic book superheroes on film that well, I feel like we've ever seen. Particularly the multiverse Not version. the best movie, but the yeah. best representation of superheroes in a comic book way. Yes. And I think that one of the things that they would do in the comics is that they would bring a Thanos challenger into the mix. And the two of them would go toe-to-toe. So so Thanos would reluctantly rise to face the person who's coming to combat him. Yeah. And then the Avengers would have to work to which evil do we fight, which evil do we partner with, and in doing so, do we partner with an evil that we actually create a... You know, it would be like if if Dormammu was released, (laughs) right, from the Dark Dimension, and now he's going up against Thanos, and it's like, do we partner with... Darmamu and then to, to defeat Thanos and have we created a bigger enemy than we even like that kind of story seems like a very comic book story that you would see but yeah I don't think they'll go there because I think that that's too big and too broad and too much to introduce but there are definitely very important aspects of the Infinity Gauntlet storyline that we haven't seen yet that we have reason to believe are coming mm. Captain Marvel for one yes and Adam Warlock for another I don't know who that is. So yeah, I figured you'd react that way because yeah. you don't know the comics as much. Adam Warlock, I haven't read it in so long that I honestly can't tell you how he plays into it, but I know he's a very important character in it. And we've been shown him in a way in Guardians of the Galaxy. So in Guardians Volume 2, in the post credit scene, when they have that big cocoon oh, yeah. and Aisha's in there and she's like, I'll call him Adam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Adam Warlock. That's mm. who's inside that cocoon. And he's a very important figure in this story. Justin, maybe you can help explain a little bit more how, because I don't remember. I'm trying to remember too. I think he possessed the soul stone in different versions of it. Okay. Hmm. So I don't know for sure that they'll bring him in to the Avengers 4. Right. But they certainly teased him in Guardians 2. Right. And obviously we know, if you sat through the credits, that Captain Marvel is coming in to Avengers 4. Yeah. And because we're getting a Captain Marvel movie before that, which is set in the 90s, so that'll probably lay some groundwork for what we're going to see in Avengers 4. And from some leaked photos, it looks like we'll see Nick Fury with hair and two eyes. Yeah, (laughs) and a Captain Marvel costume with the wrong colors on it. Yeah, I don't like that costume. I was so happy when they showed the end credit scene and the pager had red and blue and yellow yeah. on it. I was like, oh, good. At least they know what the right colors are, you know? <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> what, are, what colors are we supposed to use? Oh, shoot. We messed that one up. Yeah. We'll go, Feige. I just love teal. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I know we're not talking about the end credits scene specifically, but so 
so obviously Nick Fury and Maria Hill are, are back together and working with some entity in some form. Are we supposed to just take that as a rebuilt shield? When he says call control, who's control? Like, who's he talking about? And at the end of Avengers Age of Ultron, they're flying the helicarrier and they are working with the best bits of S.H.I.E.L.D., like the yeah. kid that was at the computer that wouldn't push the button when yeah. he had the gun to his head. Um, so I think that they have some sort of agency that they're working with. Um, there was something else I wanted to say that I'll come back to eventually. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off, didn't I? No, I just t- full on for Oh, Nebula. I think Nebula will be pivotal. In defeating Thanos. Yeah. She is in in the comics, and I think that's a great arc to her story. Yeah. And from what I hear, she's pretty important in a lot of the Infinity stories. Like, I think she actually kills him in one of them, doesn't she? Um, she, In one of them, she puts on the gauntlet. Ah, okay. And it is to her demise, but she does something that... uh, is pivotal to defeating him, but I, uh, at the very least in that one, she doesn't kill him. Yeah. My my biggest hope for Avengers 4, and I, I feel encouraged in this because they killed off so many of the other characters, my biggest hope is that we're going to get more concentrated time with Steve Rogers and with some of the characters that started the Avengers world to begin with. Yeah, I hadn't caught on that it is the original Avengers that are still alive, plus some. Plus some, but, yeah, like but, Rocket and Rhodey and yep. oh, a yeah, few yeah. others, yeah. So, in fact, I don't even think I necessarily mean any other characters. I mean specifically Captain America. Because <laughs> <laughs> as, as cool as he was in this movie, there just wasn't enough for me. Yeah. I him wanted and, more him Captain and Tony America. Too. They, have, they haven't even been restored to one They have other. to reunite. They yeah. have to reunite and yeah. solve that problem for sure. And so Tony is just alone on Titan. And yeah. I'm curious how he's going to get back, but that's a horrifying, desolate place for him. Yeah. Hmm. That's true. Hmm. Well, guys, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Is there anything else you've been dying to say about Thanos or the Avengers Infinity War? I'm pretty confident we'll have another podcast about Infinity War, just not focused on Thanos. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Yeah, good, Justin. Nothing else. I I loved summing it up with Thanos does not equal God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanos will return. Oh. Cool. Well, man, what a great discussion today. That was really fun. And it's always like we came into this, all three of us kind of saying like this was we sort of decided to do this one at the last minute. And we all three came in saying like, oh, man, I'm not prepared for this. And every time we say that, we have like the best discussions. (laughs) It's true. Forget preparing. Yeah. Let's just come and wing it. Preparation ruins it. Yeah. Justin, thanks for being with us yet again to talk Marvel. Any time. This one, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that Old Testament question. That was a good question. <laughs> My you, goodness. But thank you guys for having me. So, and you guys out there listening, please do not forget to subscribe. Yeah, if you want more questions about comparing Thanos and God, why not? Yeah, subscribe, subscribe and then tell us what your questions are. That's right. Actually, we've gotten like so many questions from some of our listeners that we don't even know what to do with them. It's like a year's worth of content. Yeah. We got to figure it out. Makes our life easy. That's great. (laughs) 
Uh, definitely leave us a comment uh, or send us an email at thestorygeeks at gmail.com. So you got to you gotta think through like, wow, how is Thanos like God or not like God? Ooh, sounds like somebody needs to write an email. Shoot us an email and tell us what your definitions are. Um, also, we love iTunes reviews, so please write us an iTunes review. We will read the iTunes reviews on the show from time to time when we get them. So uh, give us an iTunes review over there, and we will read it on the show. Don't forget to check out some of our other shows. So if you, I mean, hopefully you didn't listen to this having not seen Infinity War, because that would be a bummer. <laughs> but we had to get ready for Infinity War last week. You can check out some of the um, knowledge from Mr. Bobby Nash as he talks about what's going on in the comics. Um, also, you can check out Gold Blooming from Network 1901, which I am co-hosting right now. You can check out the DCC with that uh, from, what day is today? April 30th, it was posted. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, if yeah, you're listening to this. That's right. Close to its release date. Daryl was on that podcast. It was really cool. Did some uh, review, non-spoilery, review spoilery conversation with Dale uh-huh. Wentland, which is awesome. Um, we got some more podcasts coming up in the future. Solo is going to come out. So we got some more Star Wars stuff to cover. We've got tons of stuff we're covering. We do. We have like almost too much stuff. And of course, we have a live show on most Thursday nights <laughs> most at 7 30. Yeah, every once in a while we get a. I got another one coming up here in a couple weeks. I think <laughs> that we're going to. Can't do one on, but yeah, we try to do them as much as we can on Thursdays. Yeah. We also will, will not put the camera on top of the table anymore because when daryl and i get emphatic about stuff we hit the table <laughs> and then the camera is bouncing all over the place it doesn't work it's not work and if you enjoyed today's show and if you're dying to see any of those other upcoming shows we have tell somebody about it tell your friends share the podcast with them share our youtube videos with them send them to our facebook group um, send them all over the place the more people that know the more people we get to talk to and the more fun these conversations are So, and links to everything that we've talked about today will be in the show notes. And also, we would really appreciate it if you would head over to thestorygeeks.com and consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, We have a lot of exclusive content over there, lots of stuff where we go even deeper, if you can imagine that, into some of these topics, or take a different look at some stuff that's kind of fun. And um, it's some really good content. So you would want to head over to storygeeks.com and consider supporting us on Patreon. It can be as cheap as $3 a month, less than the cost of a comic book. Yeah, that's a, that's a good place to go. Lots of exclusive content over there. Um, the link is down in the show notes. It used to be thestorygeeks.com. Now it's Patreon slash thestorygeeks. Right? Oh, sorry. Yeah, now you're good. Um, but as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Yay.